sadly. Some initially receive the good news and receive it with joy, but they have no roots. And the joy only lasts a short time. Others receive the word, but the worries of life and their love for wealth chokes out the word, and they remain unfruitful. But others receive the word, they listen to it, they understand it, and these people produce a crop yielding far more than what was sown. So now the parable of the seeds, the the parable that comes right after, Jesus' perspective is a little bit different. He's making a very simple comparison between the good seeds and the bad seeds. The seeds... Both of them, initially, they look alike. But when they grow and mature, the difference is obvious. The good seeds produce good grain. The bad seeds planted by Satan are clearly just weeds. But the good grain and the weeds have all grown together, the good and the bad, all at the same time. So when the owners of the servants asked where the weeds came from, the owner replied, the enemy did this. Satan has planted these seeds in the heart of man and deceived them. Right? With some kind of false gospel or some other way, which really reminds us of the great cosmic spiritual battle we are in. But like good farmhands, they asked the owner, Do you want us to pull those weeds up, right? Pull them out. But the answer from the owner was a flat no. And he explained, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. Well, just as in Jesus' day, many were extremely unhappy with their world. Nothing really changes. Every generation is unhappy with their world. Now, in the last generation, well, really the last several years of this generation, um, there's been a movement of questioning our foundations, right? Traditions. And so you've probably heard the words cancel culture. Right? For example, any form of authority or government is spat upon. But as followers of Jesus as our king, how do we want God to act and how should we act? If the disciples had their way, had their way they would have wanted Jesus to wipe out the Romans, right? Send fire upon them, right? on the Samaritans and the Romans and every pagan soul that ever existed, just eradicate them, right? And you can feel their emotions because they have been hurt so badly for so many generations. But Jesus' reply through this parable is, no. I'm not going to wipe out the Romans. Don't pull up the bad weeds. If you do, you will upset the good weeds. Let them grow together until the harvest. Now, what's the harvest? Well, we're told in 39 forwards, 
It's the end of the age. It's when God's angels separate the weeds from the grain. That is the time where the division is made. That is the time for God's judgment. In God's own time, he will deal with everything that causes evil and all who do evil when Jesus returns. And so there's a determination that God will deal with it. He will deal with it. What's this parable about? This parable is about waiting. It's about God's people learning to wait. Wait on God. And waiting on God is difficult at the best of times for most of us. Would you agree? When we see evil, we don't like it. And we are tempted to take things into our own hands. You know, honestly, when Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, it's two months ago, can't believe it, it really disturbed me. And I'm sure it did you, right? It just disturbed me. And I said things like this, someone needs to do something, right? Someone needs to do something. And I said, God, it would be really nice, and I'm just being honest here, if you would just take out Putin. Right? When evil things happen to vulnerable people, especially when it happens to those you love, that's where it gets serious, right? It angers us. Pull out those evil weeds. You know, this reminds me of a movie that I'm sure a lot of you watch called Bruce Almighty. Anybody remember that flick? Bruce Almighty. Well, it's a comedy, but Bruce Almighty is a story about a guy named Bruce Noland. And he, his whole life revolves around him. And he is a reporter with dreams of becoming the news anchor in the Buffalo TV station. So one night, while Bruce is complaining loudly about the way God is running his world, and so God meets up with Bruce and gives him the opportunity to try and run the universe for one week. So here you go, Bruce. You can be God for a week. Give it a try. So in comes the prayer requests. Millions come flooding in, and Bruce is already overwhelmed. Thinking out loud, he has a plan. I know, let all the prayers become files. And so all the prayer requests, you know, turn into file folders and file cabinets and a little more organized for him to figure out how to pray. Uh, It doesn't work very well. Bruce tries another idea. I know, prayer post-its. And everything inside is instantly covered in yellow post-it sticky notes and Bruce looks like a yellow mummy. Finally, his next idea is prayer email. So his computer says, you got prayers, and he begins downloading the requests, and thousands upon thousands pour in to his email box. And so Bruce realizes that this is going to take a while. The next morning, his computer says, you have 1.5 million prayer requests. 
Then he uses his powers that God gave him to reply to the request at superhuman speed. Right? You know? And then he realizes, you know, I haven't even made a dent. Next morning he wakes up, another three million prayer requests are in his email box. His final solution to the mountain of prayers is to say yes to all. Yes to everyone. There you go. Now everyone's happy, he says. This is Jim Carrey. You know that, right? Okay. It's not a true story. You know. In impatience, Bruce Nolan says yes to everyone. It's a comedy, but there's a part of me that wants God to simply deal with all the crap in the world and just say, take care of it, God, right? Would you just respond to everyone and deal with everyone's grumpiness and anger and everything, right? And please do it now. You know, how many of us are dealing with some kind of issue in your life, in your family, or about your friends, uh, never mind the world, we know there's all kinds of problems out there, that is painful and burdensome and wrong, right? Because we all have them once in a while, more than once in a while. And we cry, Lord, can you just bring at an end to all this evil all this confusion, all this conflict right now, please? Come, Lord Jesus, please come. The words of theologian Tom Wright gives us pause when he says this. Do you want God to step in every evil campaign and restrain every simple, every evil impulse, including your own? Will we be ready and willing to pay the price? You know, do you suppose God should just move in and out of every situation according to our beck and call? Now, we know that God does execute justice in the present. But as far as complete eradication of evil, the uprooting, Jesus referred to in his parable, of all evil and Satan himself, Jesus makes it clear to us through this parable, that time will come. That time will come. But in the meantime, we who live as followers of Jesus under his gracious reign and sovereign reign, we need to learn for God's timing. We have to learn to wait, to be prayerful waiters. You know, the parable of the weeds is an agricultural parable. And it's about farmers. And farmers are known for their waiting. Because if they don't wait, they don't make great farmers. Waiting for the harvest takes patience. I mean, it's hard to watch your crop grow. And then you have weeds as numerous as the crop. How frustrating is that? 
This parable is followed by the parable of the mustard seed. And there's a reason why we have the mustard seed parable. The kingdom of God or heaven is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of the seeds, yet when it grows, it becomes one of the largest garden plants and actually grows to be a substantial tree. But guess what? It takes time. It takes time for that mustard seed to grow into that, into that mature tree. When we patiently let the mustard seed grow into a mature tree, it becomes the place where birds can actually perch into its branches, on its branches. Although the kingdom of God seems very small and insignificant, and maybe not, from our point of view, wowing us, When we are patient, when we are obedient, when we are submissive, when we are prayerful, when we live as good lights and examples before God and man, we can be used by God to bring new life to this world around us. You know, people from all walks of life, from all nations, are like the birds in the parable who can make their spiritual home on the branches of God's kingdom. But God wants us to be faithful. God wants us to be faithful and patient. We can't fight and argue like the world does. Everyone's got problems. We cannot be impatient like the world. We need to wait on God and demonstrate his character. What about the parable of the yeast? The kingdom of God is like yeast that a baker mixes into 60 pounds of flour until it works through all the dough. The baker must wait patiently for the yeast to work and spread itself into the dough until the loaf is mysteriously leavened. This is what God's kingdom is like. Hardly noticeable, but with patience. We wait on God. Just as the bread rises, new life rises in us, in the church, and through us, and for the world. And what a scrumptious loaf it can be. So, on reflection, what do we learn about God's kingdom through these parables? I'll give you three things. Number one, wait, because God is patient, compassionate, and just. Wait, because God is compassionate, patient, and just. We must be patient because God is patient. I don't think God enjoys watching evil and evil people any more than you or I. In fact, we know that God is grieved. Jesus wept. And he was moved by death. And he wept when he looked across the city landscape of Jerusalem. 
God does not relish the idea of calling the harvest too soon. Because he loves this world. So speaking about the day of the Lord in the end, Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, 8 to 9. Do not forget this thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. There it is. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do you hear the heart of God there? God is patient. That is who our God is. He is full of compassion and patience. Jesus said one day his angels will come and he will separate the good from the bad and God will justly judge evil and evildoers. There will be a moment of judgment. The day of the end of hell will come. But God patiently waits, so we must patiently wait because God wants the world to know Jesus And then having Jesus in their lives, they can shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. And so we must have the same attitude and action of Jesus. Wait in love because that's what God does. That is what God is doing. Secondly, wait because God's kingdom is already but not yet. So, God's kingdom as we've talked about, has arrived because Jesus arrived. At the death death and resurrection of Jesus, God did actively, decisively defeat sin, death, and Satan. Right? That's That's what got the whole ball rolling here. Guaranteed the end of sin, death, and Satan. In Jesus, we find the forgiveness of sins by dying in our place. In Jesus' resurrection, he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to live godly lives in the here and now. But the complete fulfillment of God's kingdom still remains yet in the future. And I'm super glad about that. Because if this is it, then I would be disappointed. It is real now, but the completion is yet to come. Well, how do we know this? Well, a number of passages, but Revelation, of course, is the big one. You know what you get there? You actually get a, it's almost like a movie trailer for the real movie to come. It's a sneak peek into the future kingdom of God. Here are these verses. No more tears, death, or pain. Sounds good to me. Sounds awesome to me. A holy city coming down from heaven. A new heaven and a new earth where God dwells with his people for all eternity. So all I can really say is, hang on, my friends. Hang on. 
In the meantime, we must live patiently, faithfully for the Lord, honorable lives before God and man. Thirdly, and finally, wait with integrity in the face of injustice and opposition. Wait with integrity in the face of injustice and opposition. If we are impatient and execute our form of justice, which is in reality revenge perhaps, rebellion, we make a huge mess of our kingdom witness. We may think we're doing right, but by impatiently dealing with evil and evil people our way, or Jesus said, by pulling up the weeds now, he says, you might uproot the wheat with them. Meaning, you make a mess of the good grain. You make a mess of God's people by being bad examples. Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 14-17, if you are insulted, and it's going to happen because of Christ, so he's talking about when you are insulted for doing good things for Jesus, okay, then you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But he says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer, right? Knocking out abortion clinics or something like that. Or a thief, thinking you're justified in stealing something to correct the situation. Or any kind of criminal... And then he adds this, or even as a meddler, which simply means a troublemaker. So maybe he didn't murder someone, but are you a troublemaker? He says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And yes, following Jesus, you may have to suffer. Just remember the life of Jesus. He's your model. Meddlers or troublemakers pay the consequences of their bad behavior. That's just the way it works, right? You got what you deserved. That is not the kind of suffering Peter wants from God's people. So if we truly live our lives with integrity for Christ and we suffer because of our faithfulness to him, you have no need to be ashamed. So it comes down to this. Waiting. And yes, it's hard. It's hard to wait. But we wait with integrity. We wait for God's timing. Let us be law-abiding citizens, leaving justice in the hands of God. Let us be faithful, faithful people, spirit-led people, praying for God's kingdom come on earth 
as it is in heaven. God calls us not to condemn the world. There's been way too much cultural wars in the church. That's not our kingdom calling. We're not called to condemn the world, but to be the gospel and the good news of Jesus for the world. That's a huge difference, right? So let us be the praying church. Let us be the praying church. Let us be the spirit-filled church. Ask God to fill you. Let us be the humble and united church. And let us be the serving church by being a blessing to our world. That's kingdom living. And you know as well as I do, you can't do it in your own power. We need Jesus. That's why we have a king. A sovereign king who gives us his Holy Spirit to help us. And so, yeah, be spirit-led. Be prayerful. Let's just pause and pray. Lord, thank you for these parables expressed in very simple terms and yet so profound. Profound for 2,000 years ago and, yes, even relevant for today. Help us to be godly waiters, praying, prepared, spirit-filled, always thinking about ways to live our lives with integrity, not in rebellion, but in sync with your Holy Spirit each and every day. And so teach us, Lord, to pray. Teach us, Lord, to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Teach us to be encouragers, not condemners. Teach us, Lord, to be light, not darkness in our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.